Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, are you looking for new ways to make money as a blogger? If so, we have got your back. We have launched an ebook called Conversations on Monetization. Inside this resource, we take your favorite podcast episodes about monetization and we put them all in one easy, accessible package. We threw a few exclusive interviews in as well. Friends, there are so many ways to monetize your food blog. Inside this ebook, we have interviews with success stories like Todd Bullock, Alyssa Brantley, Kelly McNellis, Jenna Carlin, and more. All of these examples have become successful through completely different monetization strategies. Whether you are a brand new blogger looking for your very first revenue stream, or you are a seasoned pro wanting to diversify, this ebook is for you. Go to eatblogtalk.com to grab your copy, and we can't wait to hear your success story with monetization. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. I am super excited to have Lori Rice with me today from laurierice.com, and we are going to talk about creating better food and product photos for your next cookbook. Lori Rice is a photographer, writer, and the founder of Fake Food Free Productions. She teaches food makers, growers, and artisan creators how to shoot their own food and product photos through her Creating You online courses. Lori works with major food brands and agriculture boards, and she is the author-photographer of two of her own cookbooks. Lori also helps multi-passionate freelancers and entrepreneurs in food who feel stuck with a lack of time and progress to conquer organization, maximize productivity, and create multiple streams of income so they can do what they love for a living. Lori, I'm so excited to have you here today, but before we dig into photography, we want to hear your fun fact. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. Uh, so fun fact, uh, most of my inspiration is pulled from food culture and travel. I've traveled to 26 countries and counting now. And actually in my late 20s, my husband and I lived in southern Brazil for three years. Oh, what was that like? I've never visited Brazil, but I've always wanted to. What was it like to live there? It was amazing and also the same pattern that you will learn about with expat research in the sense that uh, we were very excited and considered ourselves very adventurous. And then once you get there, you uh, you realize that you're not quite as adventurous and you start missing things from home. <laughs> and then you start to, you get a little bit frustrated and then you start to absolutely love it and appreciate it just about the time when um, that you know, that part is about to end. So um, just like anything else, um, you may not miss it until it's gone, but it's a, it's definitely an adventure and an emotional journey. And now that it's done, I wish I could move abroad again. And I appreciate so many things from it that I may have not appreciated at the time. <laughs> oh, I love that. So yeah, I was going to ask that. Do you find that you miss it now that it's you're separated from it? Oh, absolutely. And I so strongly identify with it even more so. Um, one of the one of the reasons I think is that 
we like, I was totally up for moving abroad at that time, but we were in love with Europe and, you know, places like that. And when my husband was like Brazil, cause it was through his employer, it was like, whoa, I'd never even thought about South America. <laughs> but um, now I've learned so much about that. I have so many friends, even from that time that I keep, keep in touch with. It was just, it was a really, really great experience. Oh, that's really cool. I love learning that. I, this is why I do the fun fact, because these are things that people would normally never tell me. But then it's just like something I can keep in my my mind about them. And I will never forget that for about sure. you. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. So photography, Lori, is one of your passions, clearly. So I'm super eager to learn from you today. And I know other food bloggers listening are as well. Um, your main focus is creating beautiful photos specifically for cookbooks. So would you mind talking us through the differences? How is taking photos for a cookbook different from shooting for our blogs? Well, there's a couple different ways that it is. And the first is that the way that content is consumed. It's something that we have to keep in mind because it's very different from a blog versus sitting down and reading a book. So um, if you're anything like me, uh, you might go to a blog and check three or four recipes before you find what you need and, and exit a book. If you've ever received a new cookbook that you're super excited about, you usually sit down and flip through the entire thing <laughs> when you get it. So thinking about consistency without markers of monotony in the images is really important for your viewer when someone's consuming your book uh, visually. And then there's also the technical side of things. Of course, technology has given us the opportunity to use a lot of different tools to create high quality photos, but you need to make sure that you have an understanding of your camera and especially if you plan to work with a publisher, that you know what they need on the technical side in terms of photo dimensions and file size and sharpening of images and saturation so that you can deliver files that can be used in your book and you don't find yourself reshooting those images. So there's a lot of things to think about in those terms as well. That would be the hugest bummer ever, right? <laughs> Getting all the way through a book mm -hmm. and realizing that you didn't shoot in the right dimensions or maybe your resolution wasn't good enough or something like that. So how do you eliminate that beforehand? Do you talk to the publisher and get specs from them or what do you recommend? Right. Your publisher will provide you with specs. If they don't, you need to ask for those and uh, communicate with your art team. It's hard to know when you land your first cookbook deal, what is allowed and what's not allowed in terms of who you should be reaching out to and communicating with. If you have questions about those photos, uh, you know, you're going to get a spec sheet but that doesn't mean it's going to answer all the questions. Communicate with the art team. If you don't have that contact, ask who it's going to be and really develop a relationship so that you know throughout the process that you're delivering what they need for your book. Um, just like you said, it's a huge bummer. I had a friend and colleague who got to the point of the cover for her book and it was a seasonal book and the images that she had on hand wouldn't work for the cover it was winter. <laughs> it was no longer, you know, fresh produce. So it became a really tricky situation. So knowing those things ahead of time as you head into your project and then working closely with your art team along the way will help eliminate that problem. Could you take a few and send them on and just have them looked at by the art team? Do you think that's a good strategy? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you'll find that the art team will recommend that you do that. And also, uh, opening up those lines of communication, in addition, you're also going to need to present yourself as the publisher for your book. Very few publishers are going to just assume by looking at your blog, even if your pictures are beautiful, that you can shoot for print. So they're going to want you to pitch yourself in your proposal as the photographer for your book. And every publisher is different, but you need to make sure that you show examples and explain yourself in a way that reflects that you have an understanding of all this in the proposal. So that's actually where it starts. And then once you're granted the opportunity to photograph your book, that's when you can start sending those images and really get down to those technical details before you start shooting your 75 to 100 recipes. So aside from thinking about dimensions and resolution, what are some other things that you would need to think through on the forefront? Um, about taking photos. So would you need to think about like a portrait versus landscape, anything like that? Yeah, you want to think about truly how many images you're going to need for your book in the sense that you have, most books are going to be portrait. So you need to think about the portrait images. You need to think about how the, the images are going to be cropped. Most publishers are going to want you, even though that image may be, very a very tight crop when it goes into the book they're not going to want you to send them that image that way because they need to have the flexibility to work with it when it comes to the design of your book so move it around uh, and then how are those images going to be used in the sense you might need some landscape shots depending how the publisher and art team decides to lay out the book so it's a lot about options and giving them options to work with typically for my blog I zoom in that's kind of my style I like to get like those really close hero shots of like the melting cheese or something but for a cookbook it would be wise to maybe just zoom out a little bit so that they have a little bit of wiggle room on the outer skirts of the photo correct right and your publisher will likely give you in your specs a percentage of framing, so to speak, that they would like on each image. Uh, and the thing is, is that it, kind of the art of doing this is that you visualize that tight shot, like what you're talking about, but you can shoot it in a way that's pulled out so that it can be adjusted by someone else. So what that means is you have a tack sharp image, you know, a very high quality image. So when it is zoomed in on, uh, you have that, you know, that beautiful, bright spot, your light's hitting the right place, that sharp spot. So you have to envision the photo like you want it to be, but shoot it in a way that makes it a much more flexible image. That, what you were just referring to is art right there, because I am not very good at that. And I've been blogging for 10 years. So I've taken many, many, many food photos, but I still struggle with that. So it is definitely an art form. And I think it's valuable, not just for cookbooks, but to get used to doing that for our blogs too, because we all have those times when we're like, oh, I wish I had just a little bit extra on the edges. And it would be so valuable to be able to just have a little bit of margin there. Right, exactly. And I think something to think about is I think whenever we, one of the reasons why we don't shoot in that way is because it requires extra thinking and styling, right? Because we think about those edges. Don't worry too much. Obviously, you don't want, you know, the edge of your surface to be there, but it's okay if you just kind of leave that space blank. It's about creating the space. So 
lay an herb there, you know, put the edge of a bowl there, whatever the case may be, but don't spend a lot of time obsessing about that external styling. That's okay. It's just so that the space can be there. So depending on the crop and orientation, there's some flexibility to move the photo around. What are your thoughts about using cameras? And maybe you have some recommendations with specific cameras or lenses versus using a really quality smartphone. Yeah, so this is, I've learned very quickly, a huge topic of debate. (laughs) And um, you might find a publisher out there that will allow you to shoot with a smartphone. And especially since some smartphones uh, will allow you to shoot raw photos. But I still don't believe that if you present yourself as a photographer to a publisher and you tell them that you are going to shoot with your smartphone, that they're going to hire you to do that. The thing is, is that we have, um, and I'm really excited about this because I I have some interviews with, with photographers and the resources that I have talking about this is that there's so many things out there that allow us to send our phone photos off and then they get printed out beautifully. But there's a lot of work on the back end that goes into it. And what you're going to find If you really zoom in on a phone photo and take a close look at that, it's not as clear as what you might think it is when you put it up on a digital screen, especially when it's printed. And then there's also not the flexibility because each time your photo is processed, it it, it, I guess in a way it reduces the quality, so to speak. So if you take an image, even if it's a raw phone image, because raw phone images do not have the flexibility that a either a DSLR or a mirrorless camera would, and you send that off to your publisher, well, they're going to do some cropping. They might brighten things. And then they might add some type of filter, depending on what the look of your book ends up being. All of those changes are changing kind of the quality of your photo. So we need to have it in that, you know, a, a larger file so that those changes can be made and not affect the quality integrity of the photo. So again, just adding a little bit of wiggle room so that they can play with it. And there really is a difference. I mean, if you look at something on your monitor or your laptop, it might look great and you're like, oh, this is fine to print. But when you actually print it out, there is a huge difference. Do you ever do testing with that just to see? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's because digitally there are different colors at work on a screen than there are in a printed file. So different colors are coming together to you know form that vision. And actually this year uh, printing, I, I got a good printer and I've started printing a lot of my work, especially around the holidays. I'm creating some things like calendars. And uh, you know when I print those, they aren't spot on what I see on my screen. Of course, I'm happy with them. They're fine. But if you, you know, there are a lot of changes that take place in that printed file. Yeah, I agree. It's worthwhile if you are thinking about doing a cookbook, I think, just to do some tests with that. Because again, it would be such a bummer to get to a certain point and realize you don't have the right equipment. You're not doing something the way that you should be. What do you recommend for types of camera? I know everyone has a different opinion on this, but what do you use? I'm a Canon user. Uh, And I've done the typical progression from a Rebel, which most people start with, to a um, 5D Mark IV now. And 
I my favorite lens is a 24-105 Canon lens, uh, which isn't always used for food photography all that much, but I absolutely love it. Some of my very favorite food photographers use that lens. I have a 100 meter, uh, millimeter macro as well. I use that a little bit less, uh, but I do love that lens. So uh, you do not necessarily have to use a DSLR. If you use a DSLR, what's more important than your camera body is the lens that you're using and using a high quality lens. The idea that in what you need to look at with dimensions, and I explain this in some of my resources, is the, uh, the capability for the megapixels, the maximum megapixels for a print. And so older models, less expensive models, they have less of a capability of creating those prints that can be large enough and look beautiful at a large print for a book or you know a poster or something like that. So that's why these things come into play. So mirrorless cameras, if you're comfortable using that to create a food photo, they a lot of their specs are spot on and even better than DSLRs. But it also comes back to what you're comfortable using. I have a mirrorless that I use for travel. I just cannot get the hang of it in my studio. Like I want the flexibility of my my lens and my Canon and the screen and all that kind of thing. So tell me the difference because I've never shot with a mirrorless camera. What is the difference? Why is it not as flexible? Oh, it, it's more about, it's more of a learning curve. For example, once you learn the DSLR and you learn manual settings, aperture and your shutter speed, you get very comfortable with that. When you move on to something that is a mirrorless, like I have with Sony, Sony is a different learning process. So getting using the manual settings on there to create the depth of field that I want and using the lenses that I have for that to create the same scene, it's so much easier for me with my Canon. But if you started using the mirrorless, you might find it much easier with that. So it's really about where we start and what those learning curves are for us. Okay, so it's not about it being like a, a, a totally inflexible thing. It's no. just about relearning something completely new if you're used to something entirely different. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. So what are some tips that you have for us for managing photographing a cookbook while also writing it and while also, you know, maintaining a blog? Because we, as food bloggers, we tend to like, just pile on the projects on our plates. Mm -hmm. So give us some tips about managing all of it because it can be a lot. Right. It definitely can. And I think going into it, I think having the awareness that you're going to experience creative exhaustion and understanding what the signs of creative exhaustion are for you so that you know how to handle them. And part of that is creating days that you take a break from your book and you don't think about it so that you can come back refreshed. The second thing in addition to creative to understanding creative exhaustion for yourself is creating what I call your capture plan. So you need to have a good understanding about how you work in the sense, you know, are you developing all new recipes and you want to get everything developed and then you're going to set aside photo days? Are you going to kind of work simultaneously, which is what I do, where I like I like to flip back and forth between work, regardless of how you choose to do that or with the type of work, regardless of how you choose to do that, you want to have a plan and you want to know your timeline so that you work in 
buffer days to have those creative breaks. You work in makeup days in case a photo doesn't work. All of those things will come into play. And then you want to be realistic about the fact, just like you said, with having a blog. Most of us cannot take the time off to just work on our book. I actually, my first book, I was presented with a publisher to buy a different publisher to photograph an in-house book for them. Uh, and I wanted that job so bad and I needed that job. And um, I took that on and I was doing it simultaneously with 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 shooting and creating my own cookbook, just like a food blogger might be creating posts and things like that. So you need to be realistic about your timeline. Uh, that's in stepping back and making a plan. Oh, that's so huge, I think, because it's exciting, right? If you get a deal with a publisher, it's really exciting. You go into it and you're just pumped. You think, I can do anything. I can get through this. And then you realize that, oh, wait, I have blog duties to fulfill. So I think just upfront making that plan is such a huge thing. And I love that you mentioned creative exhaustion because I think every single person listening has probably dealt with this on some level. We get, we all get to that point, I think. And especially when it, a deadline is put on us, we have to continue. And especially like a publisher is telling us you have a certain date, you have to get this done by. We don't have a choice. We have to keep going in some regards. So that creative exhaustion can like literally just sneak up on us and then it can get worse if we ignore it. So I loved your recommendation to just create space by creating those break days and making a plan and not getting so excited that you just want to tackle everything at once because I think that's a sure way to burn out. So do you have any other tips, anything else for us as far as just managing it all? You already gave us some really great stuff, but I wanted to make sure we got everything from you, Lori. <laughs> yeah, I think my main tip uh, would be to make sure that you do want to photograph your book. Obviously, one of the things that you know I do is I, I teach people how to navigate this and do this. But what people should understand about me, and I, I believe there are a lot of you out there like me as well, is that it goes hand in hand, my photography and my recipe development. And I could never imagine creating a cookbook that someone else photographed. Now, that being said, there are so many people that can't understand that at all. And you most certainly do not have to photograph your own book if you don't want to. The one reason you want to be super clear on the fact that you really want to is because it's a big job and you don't want to get into this and end up hating it in the end. So just make sure that it's a true love and a true passion. Uh, and when you do, if that's the case, when you get towards the end, you will get frustrated. You may say you'll never do this again, but in a few months, a couple months, or when that book comes out, you'll be ready to do it all over again because it's a true passion and you are reflected in every part of that book from cover to cover, picture to picture. And that's one of the most amazing things about it. As you were talking, I was thinking about a long, long time ago, one of my first years into blogging, I got one of my recipes published in a magazine and I thought it was so exciting. I mean, it was, it was really exciting and cool. Um, but when I saw how they represented my recipe in their photo, I was like, what? I could, I mean, it was just not at all what I would have made and what I would have photographed. So it was really surprising that I had that reaction. I just assumed that they would f capture this photograph that was exactly in my mind. 
but they didn't at all. I mean, it was like nothing like I would have done. So keep that in mind too, as you're considering whether or not you'll do it. If it's really important for you to have uh, a photograph of what you're envisioning, then you should probably do it yourself, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Yep. I definitely, you know, pitch yourself as the photographer if you have this very close vision. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, then maybe it's a better choice for you to just let that go. Because like you said, Lori, it is a big process and adding photos to writing and developing and testing and all of that can be a lot. And I would say that to definitely, if it is your passion to photograph your book, stay true to yourself because you will have people tell you not to do it. And those people might even include an agent if you choose to work with one. Uh, I had friends who had published books before and in an email, you know, conversation talking about this kind of thing and getting a cookbook deal. They said, the one thing I wouldn't do is photograph your own book. (laughs) And I thought, I thought, well, that's kind of part of the package for me. So, um, so anyway, don't let people, if you truly want to do it, don't let people talk you out of it because in the end, when you get that book, it's just not going to be, it's not going to be what you totally pictured. You know, you're not gonna be like, I wanted to do this, but I didn't get to photograph it. So it's not quite there for me yet. Uh, so do everything you can, if it is your passion to, educate yourself on how to do it so you can present yourself as a good photographer for your book. Mm, I love that. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I just want to make sure we covered everything because it's in my notes. But do you have anything more for um, just describing what an ideal photo for a cookbook is? We talked about like creating margins, the kind of formatting, making sure the art team is on board. Is there anything else along those lines? Yeah, I think I think more than anything, the what I talked about with the tack sharpness and a super high quality photo is important. You uh, mixing, you kind of just need to think as I go back to is your plan, mixing in knowing that you don't always have to have the finished product notice or in realizing that it doesn't always have to be the one food on the plate, you know, Think about how you will vary photos, ingredient shots or different things like that, that can serve in the place of a final recipe to create some some uh, lack of, I guess, monotony in your book uh, to resist that. So get creative, allow yourself to be creative with it. Do you recommend shooting in varying angles and varying styles just to just for that reason, what you were just talking about to not have the monotony? 45 degrees versus overhead versus maybe a super close up, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I do. And there are ways to create patterns with that and create consistency with it. But I do think, I think this is why creative exhaustion comes into it, because this is one of the things that starts to happen when we start uh, experiencing it is we stop thinking of all those creative ideas in the sense of overheads and different angles and backlight. But I think when you get yourself in a space where you really get creative and have variation in your photos within a book, that's when the most beautiful and photos that you really love come out. When you think about books that you love, when I'm sitting here thinking about books that I love, those are the ones that I really like, the ones that have a variety of colors and styles and even different moods too. Like one will be a little bit more dark and moody and one's really bright and vibrant. And I think a cookbook is a really good way to uh, kind of round out all of that that might be sitting dormant inside of you. Like I need to create a dark and moody, but maybe you don't do that on your blog. So I think that's a really good opportunity. You don't have to have everything looking exactly the same. Don't you agree? 
Yes, I totally agree, especially when you've been given this opportunity and kind of free reign uh, from a publisher and they trust you and your skills. You really have the opportunity to make it a true creative project. Yeah, I agree. Because on our blogs, we hear this all the time that you determine a brand and you brand yourself in a certain way. Either you have the colorful or you have the really light and airy look or you've got that darker look and you have to not have to but people recommend that like you should probably stick with it across platforms and um, play a little bit play around a little bit with styles but for the most part stick with one kind of branded look but I think it's so different for cookbooks for some reason and I think that's interesting that they are so different why do you think that is why do you think a cookbook is one way or we perceive it one way and then a blog is another way I think that blogs have a lot of rules because of trying to, you know, get traffic. There's a lot of rules to follow as far as how you're going to get noticed, what people want to see on a blog. When it comes to a cookbook, we're trying to get sales, but what sells a book is the topic and the cover basically, right? So, you know, and then obviously later what's inside as people start to review it, but at first glance, that's what it is. So, there's a lot more creativity that can go into it to help it stand out a little bit more. And I think that is one of the best reasons. I know a lot of people have goals and it was very popular in the past to do the blog to book where the book is basically, you know, a reflection of your blog. There was nothing. I, I had a a food blog for 10 years and uh, I haven't updated it for the past year or so, but the best thing for me was doing a book that was not related to my blog. And I had people that came in, you know, they're like, oh, I see your style here. I have a health background. So they could see that I had healthy recipes, but my books are actually cooking and baking with craft beer. And that was a passion that I had that my blog audience really didn't know about. Ooh, so I like that. It was very freeing and exciting and just very different. It was a great project for that. Regard. Yeah, it's like a new outlet, a new way to express yourself almost. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. So doing something like this, deciding that you are going to photograph an entire cookbook is a lot of work and it's a lot of photos. And I I imagine that each photographer takes a different amount of photos. Maybe some just do a handful and kind of like do the staging and testing and then just like on our blogs, you know, and then set it up and then snap a few. And then some take a ton of photos and then kind of go through them editing But regardless of what you do, whether you take just a few or many, it's still a process and it's a lot of photos to manage. If you're doing 100 photos for a cookbook and you take 100 photos of each, that's many, many photos. So how do you organize all of that? Do you do something up front to kind of plan it out or what do you do? Yeah, it's it's definitely having that plan and it, it comes down to, you need to be, you need to be able to pick your favorites. Um, that is one thing as a blogger, as I transition to a professional food photographer that I got more comfortable with is you don't need a hundred photos of the same dish. Uh, we are driven by getting that perfect shot, but as you shoot more and more, you find that it may only take three shots to get that perfect one that you nailed. And that is part of the process of improving and progressing your skills as a food photographer. Now, getting different files and formats so that you have options is one thing, but shooting 
100 to 150 photos of one dish just so you make sure that you got one that you like. That's a completely different thing. So I would, when you approach your book, focus on getting yourself together in that regard. Promise yourself that you're going to focus on nailing the shot and getting what, however many you decide that you need, that you're going to nail those. And it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be these hundreds and thousands of photos because your publisher doesn't want a hundred photos of each ditch. They want a few to choose from so that they have flexibility. And also in my resources, I have formulas and uh, we go through these kinds of things uh, to figure out the actual, actual minimum number of photos that you would need for a book. And then you can build from there. Uh, yeah, because I think most people listening have gone through that process or maybe they're going through it right now where you start with taking so many, like you mentioned, Lori, and you just hope and pray that something in there is going to work. But then the more you do it, the more you practice, as with anything else, you get to a point where you just hone it in. And I don't know, it was like an evolution for me, but I didn't realize realize it was. And then one day I was like, oh my gosh, I'm only taking a handful of photos for my blog. Whereas before I was taking so many and then I would have to sit down and I would have to look through them all and I would have to edit them and it was just ridiculous. But I think that's just a matter of practicing and just doing it over and over. And with a cookbook, you get to do that because you have a lot of photos to take in a short window of time. <laughs> exactly. Yep. 100%. It, it comes with experience. Yeah, for sure. definitely. Just like thinking about this podcast too, like having a podcast in the beginning, I was talking so much and I was saying things that weren't necessary and my episodes were going to 60, 70 minutes and it was just ridiculous. And now things are much shorter. And for a while I was like, wait, am I doing something wrong? Why are suddenly things like my episodes are shorter? But it was actually a good thing because I think I just figured out how to get to the really important stuff and take all the garbage out. And it's the same with photography and writing too, like anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I do a fair amount of food writing as well. And it's like you, you learn to take out the fluff and just have the meat yes. in there. Yeah. What is your biggest piece of advice for food bloggers listening today who are considering photographing a cookbook of their own? I would say, you know, this goes for photographing your cookbook, coming up with the idea and your work in general for your business and the work that you do. Think about three words that would guide your work, no matter what direction you get sent in. This is something that I've done over the years, and they are words that I come back to. And whenever I start to go astray, whether it's ideas or feeling frantic and feeling like I need to do everything else, I come back to these things. And I know that I need to focus my work on these things that I've selected for my business. What are they? So I can, yeah, I was going to give you an example. Yeah. Uh, so Mine are freedom, better system, and inspire pause. Freedom for the fact that I have chosen to wade myself through a career of entrepreneurship now, <laughs> uh, you know, within the past 10 to 12 years, uh, the ups and downs of that, but I have freedom and flexibility in my schedule. So I keep pushing forward on projects and work because I know it's keeping me on this track into the place. Creating uh, for a better system for me, I support those who are creating a better system for the foods that we eat and the products that we consume, artisan producers and growers. And I try to make sure that my work is aligned and my personal and business choices are aligned with that. And then for me, Inspire Pause, everything that I do 
from the photos that I take to the articles that I write to the books that I create, if they just cause people to stop in a hectic life and inspire them to pause and read and enjoy and smile, then I know I've done my work. Oh, I love those. How did you land on three? Because I think we can all relate to wanting to have like a million words to describe things to propel us and encourage, you know, inspire us and encourage us. How did you land on just three? Sure. Well, it's kind of a combination of things. So uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of focus on, you know, a one thing. And then whenever I talk about photography style and helping people develop their photography style, I help them decide on five words. Well, three came from um, a a blogger and writer, uh, Chris Brogan, who I've followed for years since we actually lived in Brazil. It's, It's been 10 to 12 years now. And every year he does my three words. Those three words change every year about what you want your year to focus on. And it's a, it's a process that I've followed. But when I started thinking about my business, I knew that I needed three words that stuck, that didn't change anymore. So that's how I decided. One was too few for this particular thing. Five was too many, but three was pretty well perfect. And it encompassed pretty much everything that I was trying to uh, put forward in my work. That is so inspiring. I hope that inspires somebody because that it has inspired me definitely just finding something solid that is steadfast almost that you know isn't going to waver. It's going to stick with you through all of your entrepreneurial days and you're going to have it in the end too. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And you have a course, Lori, that helps people kind of go through the process of photographing for a cookbook. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, after consulting with some some colleagues who had these problems with images who I felt were equipped as I were was to photograph a book and they were still having these problems I decided uh, to create my course cookbook photo academy and so a lot of the things that we've talked about today we dig much much deeper and just like the things that I've referred to we create a base plan for how many images you need for a book and how to create your capture plan. So we go through the technical side of that and, you know, the technical side of the images that you need. And then I've also enlisted the help of a lot of colleagues. And there's a wealth of information in the course from uh, developing collaborative relationships. So you know how to work with your publisher when you have an issue or a problem to work through that. And then I've included interviews with Uh, eight people right now, and I'm continuing to update that. It's one of the updates that maintains with the course is food blog or food bloggers, as well as publishers who have self-published and who have published with traditional publishers, food photographer, a associate art director at a publisher, a culinary agent, a literary agent. And I've interviewed them for their best tips for what you should do and how to navigate the process of photographing your own cookbook while you're writing it. It's all part of the course. And there are different levels of the course. There's just the base course that has the modules in it. And then I have a bunch of great bonuses with it as well, including an audio training about how to find an agent. That's for me, how to get paid to get published, and then making the decision of whether or not you should self-publish or you should go with a traditional publisher. So that's a tier if you want bonuses. And then also I offer coaching as well for someone that might want to work one-on-one with me. And the course, I, it's open now, but 
I also want to say that if you're not quite ready to take a course and focus on that, then uh, I do have a downloadable on my website, free downloadable, which is a a combination of the best tidbits from all those people that I interviewed. And so it's expert tips for photographing your own cookbook. And that's an audio download that you can find on my website at laurierice.com. Awesome. That sounds so valuable. It sounds like you've covered absolutely every base imaginable. So if somebody listening is wanting to get into this, that sounds like such a great um, a piece of content that would not just piece of content, an entire course that's going to help you get through that. So thanks for talking about that. And thank you for being here today, Lori. I know you're busy and I just really appreciate appreciate your time and so do food bloggers listening. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm never too busy to talk food and photography. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's always a fun topic. Before you go, I always ask my guests to share either a favorite quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers. Do you have anything to share with us? I would say if we are going to talk about a quote, uh, my one of my favorite quotes has always been George Eliot. It's never too late to be what you might have been. So never fail to, uh, to shoot for recreating yourself. <laughs> if they, you have a goal with food, if you want to, if you haven't started a food blog and you want to, if you want to become a cookbook author and photographer, it's never too late to be what you might've been. Oh, love that. Thank you for sharing that. And we will put together a show notes page for you, Lori, and all the resources that we talked about today we'll put on there. So if anyone wants to go peek at that, it's at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Lori Rice. And Lori is spelled L-O-R-I. Lori, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Best place would be my website, laurierice.com or uh, on Instagram, super active on Instagram, always happy to answer questions. And that's at Lori underscore Rice. Awesome. Go check out Lori, everyone. And thanks again for being here, Lori. Thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.